Okay, three, two, one. Good day, everyone. This is Piero San Giorgio. Today, I have the great pleasure to have with us Bill Warner. Hello. Glad to be with you. So, Bill Warner, you are a former professor, retired businessman, yes. and uh, uh, an expert on political Islam, as well as uh, I think you founded the Center for a Study of Political Islam in uh, in Europe. Is that correct? Yes, that's Excellent. correct. So you you have what led you? So my first question is, what led you to study to study Islam? This is not common, especially in the U.S. My first attempt to study Islam was when I was a young man of only 30 years old. I'm now 77, and I became interested in Sufism, mystical Islam. The Western mysticism was the way it was told to me, and so I hung out with Sufis and read books and went to Zikrs and did that for about uh, a little less than a year. But there were some dark corners in the Sufi business, which I later would now call Sharia and Jihad. And I did not know much about them, so I drifted away. My next phase in studying Islam came as a college professor. I had many Muslim students. And so I wanted to understand them better, so I read the Quran and then the life of Muhammad. Then on September 11, 2001, when I saw the second plane hit the second tower, I said, it is Jihad, Islam is here. And what I decided to do was to make the doctrine of Islam understandable to the common man. That was the task I set for myself. And that's what I've devoted myself to since then. Would you say that most people, uh, not only in the U.S., but also in Europe, don't have a real idea of what Islam is? They have not a clue. They, <laughs> they think whatever some nice Muslim told them is, is what Islam is. And so now the beauty of this method is you get the Islam as you want. If you want a nice Islam, you ask a nice Muslim. If you don't want a nice Islam, you ask, uh, say, Chaudhry or someone else who's a jihad imam. So it's very flexible and gives you the answer you want, but it has nothing to do with Islam. Now, in Europe, I think you are starting in the U.S. as you had your first two members of Congress of Muslim faith being elected in, those, in the latest uh, midterms. We have um, perhaps uh, more and more politicians, but also a very large part of Europe who are citizens of European countries who are of the Muslim faith. A tiny fraction are European converts, but the vast majority are coming from immigration. Um, we've seen recently that um, terrorists of that faith have committed quite a lot of, uh, of uh, big terrorist attack, but also daily small attacks and, um, and a lot of um, their presence is felt in the prison system of, of Europe. How much of that is due to poverty, to um, social conditions, or uh, to the religion, do you think? Well, here we do not know what motivates any person in their heart, but with the usual system of thought advanced by the left is is that, and by the way, I do not call them terrorists. They're jihadists. Okay. The jihadists are caused by they're poor, they're discriminated against, uh, they've got a bad government back home or something like that. But I, when I want to explain anything about Muslims, I look to Allah and Muhammad. Those are the only two places I look for for motivation. Now they may have personal motivations, but that's all that I deal in is what is the doctrine. Now, you have written uh, more than a dozen. I've read one or two, at least. I read Sharia Law for Non-Muslims, and I think uh, I read the, yeah, the Sira, The Life of Muhammad, from, from you, the books that, you, that you've written. 
And, and to make it clear, the Muslims, not, they don't just believe the Quran as the written, as the, as the word of God, but they also believe that uh, Muhammad's life and the different hadith that explain it or tell it give interpretation. And wouldn't you say that that interpretation can be really good or really bad according to, to misunderstandings perhaps? Or, 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 or is there a way that is really the way? Let us address a scientific fact. There are 89 verses in the Quran which say that Muhammad is the perfect human being. He is the pattern of life for all humanity, not just Muslims, but he is the pattern of life for all humanity. So therefore, the Muhammad, and by the way, most people think that Islam comes from the Quran, but if you look for the knowledge of Muhammad, you look in the Sirah, his life, and then the Hadith, his traditions. Only four, so Quran, Sirah, Hadith is where the doctrine of Islam is found. Only 14% of those words are written in the Quran. The bulk of it, 86%, is about Muhammad. So this means if we want to understand Islam, it's more important to understand Muhammad than it is Allah. So, that, so that's how I, we need to understand. That's our foundation we need to put under us. As long as we're talking about Muhammad and Allah, we're talking about Islam. If we're not talking about Muhammad and Allah, we're talking about someone's opinion, which may be good, bad, or indifferent. Okay, so it means that... Uh most Muslims can be perfectly peaceful people and uh, perfectly able to, to work pretty fine in society, right? But they have options, ethical options that you and I do not have. Here, let's, let's summarize something. Muhammad preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and converted only 150 people, about 10 a year. He was driven out of Mecca and went to Medina where he became a politician and a jihadist. He was involved in 95 acts of jihad in the last nine years of his life. So there are two Muhammads, the peaceful Muhammad in Mecca and the jihadist Muhammad in Medina. This is, and you say, well, which one's the real one, Bill? They're both equally real. Now they, but Bill, they contradict each other. Yes, and that is the essence of Islam. It is based upon contradiction. And where Western scholars try to study Islam, they wind up saying, well, which one is the true one? They're both true. So therefore, you can have a very nice, charming Muslim who kind, harm, is harmless and helpful, then you can have another one who appears to be quite nice, but when the moment comes, he can be violent. And he's, he, they have a band of ethics they can operate within. Now, both the Quran and the Hadith, they have been compiled, and certainly they have been uh, put to, into written form much after the events they describe. How are we sure that this is actually correct, and, and what is the history? Um, are, isn't there possibly that we have missed some pieces that actually put it in a more peaceful way or more um, or less violent, perhaps? Let us be clear about the fact. We do not know who Muhammad actually is. Well, we know who Muhammad was about 150 years later when they wrote about him. Now, I come from a very rural part of the America. I grew up without running water, electricity, a car, or a telephone. So I lived in kind of a past century. And our favorite way of passing time was to tell stories. Let me tell you something about stories. The more the story is told, the better it gets, and the more details there are. When you read the life of Muhammad, you realize it's an 800-page document written in fine print, and you realize there is no way that we know what Muhammad said about a red camel, okay? But the story becomes better when you include Muhammad talking about the red camel. So therefore, what we have is a, doc, is a collection of books, the Sirah and the Hadith. Are they accurate? I don't think so, but are they accepted as accurate? Yes, and so therefore I deal with them as though this is the exact truth. But 
no, I don't believe that we, I mean, that was too long ago to write down all the details about what Muhammad said on, and what he had for breakfast. Now, um, besides your books, I did read the Quran actually twice in my life. It's a long, long, long read. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and um, well, of course, I don't read Arabic, therefore I had to read in translation. Maybe it was about, not superbly translated, so it was a bit boring. But, uh, um, however, I did notice that there are some verses that are extremely pushing for peace and for rational, rational yes. relationships, right? Yes, exactly. But there are others which do not. And so what happens is, is when a person joins Islam, at first they only are introduced to a small part about Islam, which is the peaceful part. Now I find that, for instance, although I read Quran, Surah Hadith, that most Muslims don't read it at all. As a matter of fact, most people would be amazed at how little a Muslim knows about the actual doctrine of Islam. So uh, we don't want to study Muslims, we want to study Muhammad. Very, very interesting. Now, when I, when I was at school, and I'm sure that most students uh, at school in Europe learn the same way that I, that I was, we, we are taught at school, and I'm talking 40 years ago, of course, but uh, it's still the same for my children today. They are taught that Islam is this very peaceful and tolerant religion. Actually, even President Obama told us that it was a religion of peace. Ah. And um, in school, we're told that look at Spain and that the, the, the Spanish uh, conquest, the, the conquest of Spain by, by the Arabs, was extremely peaceful and, and tolerant, and that Jews, Christians, and Muslims were living together in harmony. Isn't, isn't that uh, factual as well? Did you say that the invasion of Islam into Spain was a peaceful event? That's what I've been told. I'm not saying it was. I personally tabulated 200 battles that were fought over some the period of 711 to 1492. 200 battles is not a peaceful existence. And we have to understand that the the myth of Andalus in which everyone lived in great harmony is beginning to be exposed by detailed scholarship which says no, the Jews and the Christians lived as dhimmis, D-H-I-M-M-I-S. They lived as dhimmis and they were subjugated. So when, when Spanish women, Christian, Catholic women were shipped to Baghdad for, to be prostitutes inside the harem, that is sex slaves, I don't call that peaceful. And if it was so peaceful, why did the Muslims, why did the Spaniards fight for, what was it, from seven, for nine, 700 years. I mean, not, 700 years of battle is not a peaceful existence. That is, I'm, what I'm saying is, the myth of golden Andalus is a myth. I see. Now, another, another thing we've taught at school is that the Arabs not only were, as you, as you, you, you debunked, peaceful, but um, uh, also incredible scholars and, and scientists and discoverers and and that they had in Baghdad this, this, this center and, and, and the Granada. Golden age. This golden age of incredible science and research and discovery. Now, when I look at the names of the mathematicians and astronomers and, 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 lit, and, and writers of those times, when I look at their biography, they're all Persian, Greek, uh, Jew, or, or, uh, or Roman, or, or Christian, let's say. Now, what's, what's the truth and what's the, 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 the myth as well in that golden age? Well, first off, it's a myth, and we know that many of the scholars had to be Greeks, Romans, and Persians because we, we remember going back to the Hadith about Muhammad? He lived in a sun-dried brick house that you could reach up and touch the ceiling. These were not great scholars. The first book written in Arabic was the Quran, so they were Bedouin. Well, they were not just Bedouins. They lived in cities, but 
So therefore, they were not great scholars. So when they invaded, they conquered scholars, and these scholars turned out. For instance, all of those translations of the Greeks into Arabic, that was done by, oddly enough, uh, Orthodox Greeks and others who were what we would think of as Western today. Now, you mentioned a lot of battles, and indeed, um, a, a good friend of mine, you may know him, George Nafziger, has written a very interesting book called Islam at War. He's, uh, I think it's, it's from, from your area in the United States. It's one of those beautiful states in, in, in the South. And um, uh, he describes a lot of the battles and the, 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 the very, very efficient way of, of, of Muslims to, to raid and have these light cavalry types of attacks. Now, war has been central in Islamic history, and they are very proud of that, in fact. When, when all the Muslims I met, they are very proud of their history and their, their fighting abilities and their ability to wage war. Um, Islam has tried to conquer Europe twice, once through Spain, once through the, with the Ottoman Empire, through, uh, uh, through the Balkans, all, all the way to the gates of Vienna, and, and through raids of, of the pirates on the Mediterranean and all over the, all over the Atlantic. Now, the, to, today we have something like 40 million Muslims in Europe, um, some of them work, some of them don't, but are, they, do, do you think they still have this fighting culture, this conquering culture? Europe is under attack now without the sword, but by mass migration. The Hijra is what it's formally called. Migration is so important to Muslims that their calendar is based on it after the Hijra. So I predict that Europe has the, is involved in the biggest war against Islam it has ever been faced and that it is dangerous because they refuse to admit that there is a problem. That is, they want to say, look, if we bring these people here, we'll love them, we'll, we'll show them how, what our ways are, they will become like us, and so all the Turks in Germany will simply become Germans. Well, that's not really the way it works, is it? So this is an invasion, but it's an invasion by migration. And it is not, let me say something here, Islam is not the problem in Europe. The problem in Europe are our leaders, the European leaders, Merkel, Macron, and others such as them, the Swedish government. That's the problem. The Muslims are not a problem at all. We're the problem. Interesting, because I, my, my best-selling book is also translated in Arabic. And I gave a few conferences in, in, in Tunisia, and, and, and I told them exactly the same thing, that the, Islam is a secondary problem for Europe. The first problem is us. It's that we are, we are, we are becoming strange. You know, Europeans can no longer ask the question, what is Europe? What is European civilization? I mean, Europe is becoming confused as to who they are and what their purpose is in life. Now, we're seeing some pushback, as you know, particularly in Central Europe. Yes. What would be your advice as a scholar of, 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 and, a, and a student of, of, of political Islam? And, and if you could talk to... European leaders, whether they're political, business, um, or civilian leaders, what would you tell them as an advice regarding, regarding your, 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 your knowledge? Know Muhammad and know the history of Islam. You need to know those two things. Notice I didn't say you need to know the Quran. You can bring that in as well. But we need to know who Muhammad was because once you understand who Muhammad is, you understand what Islam is. And once you understand what Islam is, you can see what its history is and what the meaning of it is. And you can therefore see the future. Look, Islam has been doing the same thing for 1400 years. And the reason they don't change it is it keeps working. 
the Islamic push for power has never been more ascendant than it is in the world today. So I would tell the European leaders, know who you're dealing with. Is this such a crazy piece of advice that I would say know your enemy or know who you're dealing with? And yet I don't see any – take Macron for an example. The man says he can create a new Islam. What an idiot. I don't normally call people names. But when you tell me that you're the leader of a great nation and you can create a new Islam that is European sensitive and European tolerant, I say you, you need to check what you're smoking or drinking because it's not setting well with your brain. Right, he's probably following the, the tradition of France, but also many other leaders. As you know, uh, 200 years ago, Napoleon created the... Um, uh, basically uh, a consistoire for the Jewish uh, people as they emancipated the Jews in France as one of the first countries to do so they they created a, a system of controlling Jewish religion for France and therefore making sure government could have a say in how Jewish people would interpret Judaism so that it would fit the, the rules of France. I'm not sure it was successful but at least they, they tried that. However um, I think starting with Sarkozy, five, 10 years ago in France, a bit more than 10 years ago, they started to do the same for, for Islam. Indeed, you find in a lot of even Islamic or so-called Islamic scholars, as you may know some of them in UK, and who ask for reform in, 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 in Islam. Now, how, do you think that reforming Islam if, is possible? Before we reform it, let's ask what it is. What is Islam? Islam is the doctrine found in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. That's what Islam is. So how do we reform the Quran? That perfect document which is universal. Allah wrote the Quran before he created the universe. It's perfect. It is complete. It is universal. How do you change perfection? How do you reform perfection? I don't see how you do that. Then we have the Sunnah of Muhammad. We have the Sunnah of Muhammad. It's written in the Sirah and the Hadith. It's written down. How do you change Muhammad's history? How do you change who Muhammad was? So when you say you're going to reform Islam, are you going to reform Allah, or are you going to reform Muhammad? And you cannot inform either one of those. You need to have God come back to earth. And <laughs> I, like your, I like your idea. Bring him back and say if he can do it better the second time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so now, on the positive side, let me do again the devil's advocate. Now, I've worked a lot in the Middle East. You're the nicest devil I've ever met, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's good. I have no horns. Uh, I've, worked, I've worked in Saudi. I've worked in Dubai, in Syria, in, in, in all over the places. I think I've visited almost every single country that is actually technically Muslim and by constitution, and even somewhere Sharia law is applied. Now, my experience, of course, I'm a man. I was there for business. And, and of course, I was, I, was, I was dealing with fairly high, highly sophisticated people, but also, you know, the taxi driver. The, the, the. Yeah. I found very charming people in general, not always super bright, but I found some intelligent people as well and some, some great people overall. And I had a good time as a human being. I'm not saying I had fun, but I had a good time with <laughs> people talking, with having, having good chats, good food and so on. Um, so as humans, right, um, Muslim people can be just as great as, as anyone else. I mean, I that's agree. my experience. I agree. Now, how can we change uh, or how can we protect Europe? Because that's what I care about. And, and by extension, the United States and Australia, how we can protect the West 
um, from, from potentially that danger. And at the same time, what can we do with the millions of Muslim people who are today in our countries? What? So you said, number one, understand the Quran and, and, the, and the Hadith. So understand what Islam is. What, what, would be, what would be the next step regarding the people um, of that faith? You're going to be surprised at my answer, but what we need to teach the Muslims is who was Muhammad and what's in the Quran. Because most of them do not know what's in there. I know of a man who converts many, hundreds of Muslims to Christianity, and what does he do to them? He talks to them about who Muhammad was and what he did. He introduces them to the Muhammad they've never met and they don't know anything about. So we need to teach everyone about who Muhammad is and who, what's in the Quran. When I say everyone, Muslims included. And when you do that, because I do that sometimes as well with some friends. I think I've converted two or three. But um, the, or at least I got them to do something else in, in their life. Right. Now, would there be, because I always try to start with the positive thing. Would, would you say there are positive things to say about Muhammad? He can teach a lot to any businessman. Once he had his idea, he never wavered. He never... He, Nothing ever changed his d direction that he went into. Uh, so, and by the way, Islam has some attributes which I like. For instance, I love the fact that it elevates the family as to being the cornerstone of a society, which That's I true. like better than the, when the West, where it's more the individual. True. So I like that. Uh, Muslims also usually tend to treat their elders in a deferential manner. Since I'm a 77-year-old man, I kind of like the idea of being treated nicely. So there are, there are some elements of, the other thing is, is that Muslims feel a, an awareness of each other and can operate as a unified force. We find that very difficult to do. So there are some attributes to Islam that I find, I like that. As a matter of fact, I even did a video one time on what I admire about Islam, and there are some things about which I do. There are some things about which I do not like at all, but I'm not a blind man. I can see, I'm like an accountant. I've got liabilities and assets, and I just put them in the liability or the asset column. Now, isn't it, isn't it with, when you have a text that is supposed to be the exact perfect word of God, even if you have 90% that is absolutely great, if 10% is immoral or even 1% is, is, is totally immoral and completely unacceptable morally and, and ethically and, uh, and humanly, would that discredit completely the whole, the, whole, uh, the whole text? Well, let me ask you a question. Under, the, under Hitler, the Germans developed the Autobahn, the Volkswagen car, and rockets, yeah, and great the stuff. first jet aircraft. They did a lot of things which were very good. They were, they were into socialized medicine. So there are a lot of, and by the way, I think it's indeed, if we're going to study Hitler, well, what did he do that worked well? I'm not one of these people who says we don't, so when we come back to Muhammad, we have to answer this question. How do we give him as a whole, if we're going to measure him as a whole? Well, what have we done with Hitler? Well, we've measured him and said, you know, whatever good was in the Nazi thing, it wasn't worth saving the whole bit. I and totally so I agree. ask that question. There is some goodness in Islam, but does that mean we need to save it all? And you can't take the part. This is not a buffet. That is, you can't just select this and select that. It's all there. You may not choose to practice it but it is still all there, and I don't see how that can change. I'm a pessimist in that way. Now, I noticed two things on my travels. The first thing, I'm going to make two questions on those two things. The first thing is when, when countries implement 
as close as possible a, a government based on, on, on Islam, on Sharia, and, Sharia. When the, and when the population becomes almost 100% Muslim, the country starts to, culturally at least, and sometimes even economically and, and militarily, it starts to suddenly fall down and, 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 and develop immense problems. Whereas, for example, Turkey, which is another country I know well, um, because it was, it's, or it is modern Turkey, because it's supposed to be technically not a Muslim, uh, an Islamic country, it is, ba constitution is based on, on, on Quran and God and, and Allah, but it's supposed to work as a, as a secular country, has been very successful, at least until now. And I've, I kind of see this trend that whenever Islam is implemented as a way of government, very quickly, there's something happening that drives the country into a into not functioning uh, society. Well, we can find the answer to that in Islam. Islam. Here, let's talk about civilizations. I'm from a civilization, and I, I I've been to Europe many times, and I see Europe and America as basically being the same civilization. Mm -hmm. Now, Macron may be offended by that. I don't know, but I see us as having a common civilization. Our civilization has two cornerstones. It has an ethical cornerstone of what I call a unitary ethic in which all people are treated the same. It has an intellectual cornerstone of critical thought, which the French, yes. by the way, is, since I've badmouthed Macron a couple of times, let me say that the French did a great deal to advance the concept of critical thought. Sure. Descartes and all the Voltaire and all the rest. Yes. The, now let's deal with the other, let's deal with the uh, Islamic. The Islamic ethical system is dualistic. How a person is treated depends on are you a Muslim or a Kafir, that is a non-Muslim. So that's its ethical system. Its intellectual system, no, nothing is allowed to contradict the Quran and the Sunnah of Muhammad. Well, now then we have all of our thinking being in a box. It's got a border around it, and that border cannot be penetrated. Our thinkers, when it's done right, and by the way, one of the things I see happening in the world today is that critical thought is being rejected, and instead we have name-calling and insults which is a dreadful thing to do. So we have a better civilization. That is, I argue that unitary ethics and critical thought are superior to, in the way they make a society function, to dualistic ethics and to authoritarian thought. So that's my answer to your question. The second, the second thing I've noticed, especially in Africa and in India, is that uh, people who know their history, they are extremely hostile to Islam for the slavery, the slave trade in Africa. Millions of people have been, uh, or so, so they tell me, have been put into slavery by, by Muslim uh, slavers. And in India, and I didn't know that, the, 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 the death toll of the Islam conquest of India is just astounding. It's probably even, it's probably as, as bad as communist was in China, but it's, it's in the Here, here's the figures. There were 60 million Christians, 10 million Buddhists, 80 million Hindus, and 120 million uh, Africans. And by the way, I am reading a book now on slavery in Africa by John Azuma. It is an incredible good book. It is the first book I've ever read which is willing to face Islam and slavery in Africa. Because elsewhere, we, we, just, we want to cover it up. But no, Islam ran the slave business on the west coast of Africa. Every black person that was brought to America to be a slave in America, North America or South America was sold by a jihadist Muslim. There was a massive slave trade on the north coast of Africa. Nearly a million white people were put into slavery. There was a slave trade on the east coast of Africa. The Muslims ran all of this. 
Remember, I was talking about Muhammad. Muhammad wholesale slaves. He raided for slaves. He retailed slaves. He gave them his gifts, and he got them his gifts. Muhammad stood by and prayed while slaves were tortured. Muhammad was involved in every aspect of the slave business. So therefore, it is appropriate for any Muslim to be a part of the slave trade. It is nothing that they're ashamed of or embarrassed about. I believe, at least in the day they were doing it. I believe we have uh, slave markets one hour flight away from uh, from Europe in, in Libya right now. And in Syria. Well, do, you, well, do you know when the slave market was closed in Mecca? 1960. Uh. Uh, let me, oh, by the way, since we're talking about slavery, which, by the way, I, is a subject I like to discuss because most people don't want to discuss it. What was the slave that brought the highest price for the entire time the, the slave market was open in Mecca? That is, for 1,400 years, what was the highest price slave, the most valuable slave? Uh, I wouldn't I'll know, tell I you, know. a white woman. Oh, yes, of course. Of course. See? The <laughs> no, no I, I mean, obviously, uh, as a category, yeah. And by the sense. way, do you know why a white woman is the preferred sex slave? Muhammad's favorite slave was a Coptic slave, a Christian slave. She's described as being fair, that is, having light-colored skin. So therefore, if Muhammad's favorite sex slave was a white woman... Then you have to do... So then everyone has to follow. Now, to, to perhaps to close, uh, and again, I thank you very much for your time, because this is a very important topic. And in Europe, we need to, we need to open our eyes and, 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 and really... Everywhere we need to open our eyes. Yeah. China, Australia, everywhere. I think China has its eyes quite open, but, uh, but you're right. <laughs> China has their own method of dealing with this, which yes. is not very politically correct. But but let's let's put it this way: I'd rather we avoid uh, unnecessary problems before China comes and settles the thing forever, because they will settle things forever. China has another whole issue, by the way, and a big one. Yeah, yeah. But this is They're going to be for power. for our children and grandchildren's uh, time. We we have this one right now. Now the question is: I write books about survival, so. It's, I'm not the typical survivalist uh, thing. I'm, I've, I have this really Swiss view, and uh, it's more how you rebuild civilization, you know, with with better systems, and and of course how you defend yourself and so on. Now, one of the issues I have is that the type the type of violence I see when there is a Muslim conquest coming into a country is the type of violence that, as an individual, is extremely difficult to to uh, to counter. And I have lots of Lebanese friends, especially here in Switzerland, especially in Geneva, who fled the, 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 the civil war. Was it a civil war, really? But the war in Lebanon in the 70s and 80s, which had families which were Christian and who kind of succeeded in, in staying in, in Lebanon for basically uh, since, since the Muslim conquest of the, of the, seventh, or the 8th century. And they managed to... to, to keep that country going for, for almost more than a millennium. And um, while on one side it's interesting, on the other side, being a stronghold in a sea of enemies, it's not really a future that it looks so promising. So how can, how can I teach my readers, uh, especially the ones in Europe, to prepare themselves against, against this problem? Because today there's probably 5 to 15%, depending on the countries, of, of, of our land, or our citizens now, who are of the Muslim faith? Well, for, let me, let's address two issues. First off, you're obliquely referring to what I call the law of Islamic saturation. That is, once Islam gets founded and has a foundation in a country, over a period of centuries it will become 100% Islamic. 
You talked about Turkey yep. earlier. Turkey used to be, it was called Anatolia yes. or uh, Asia Minor, and it was Christian, Orthodox. Sure. Well, now then, I think less than half, one half of 1% of Turks are now Christians. So we need to think about where this is going, and what it goes is, it always goes to saturation. The other thing is, is what happened in the Middle East will happen in Europe. Why? Because it's the same Muhammad, it's the same Quran. So therefore, same cause, same effect. So that's what I see as the future. What this means is, is that there is no compromise. This is now this is where I'm very pessimistic. There is no compromise on this issue. Which which civilization will prevail in the end? Our civilization of a unitary ethic and critical thought, or the Islamic civilization of authoritarian thought and dualistic ethics? So we need to understand where we're, what the history is, so that we can see where we're going. It's not, uh, not, it's not going to be easy. At least that's. Uh, it is sure. not easy at all. But it would be much easier if we would simply face the fact that we need to talk about this issue. What we find here in America is that increasingly people such as myself are forbidden to discuss the issue. Yeah, I, want is, to, I wanted to close it's, it's on that. Said, everyone says that Bill is a, an evil man, he's a racist, he's a hater, he's a bigot, he's an Islamophobe, he's a white nationalist. People do not debate me, they just say that I'm an evil person. Well, that's a, I'm, I'm Hitler. That's a good way not to debate people, but for sure, and, and our, re our listeners will, will judge from themselves, it seems to me that I've been trying to do the devil's advocate, of course, but, um, but it seems to me that you had no hateful um, sentence or, 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 or um, how you say it, and you, said, you didn't say anything that is illegal, hateful, uh, immoral, you just stated facts. I tell you what Muhammad said and did, I tell you what's in the Quran, and I give you the history of Islam. And for that, I'm called a bad person. And I advise our readers, our listeners, to, to read your books. I've read two of them. There's 15 of them, so you can uh, you can uh, you can uh, you have a lot of a lot of reading. But there, I, I found the one the two I've, I've I've read. They were very informative, very factual. There is no insult. There is no, no scorn. I'm a it's, scientist. Exactly. It's extremely precise, extremely factual. And then it's up to us to up to the reader to to to. to to think and 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 that's what I always say to my readers: think by yourselves, get the facts, and learn. So, uh, where can people learn more about you? I have a website called politicalislam.com. You can see my books, my videos, my newsletters, uh, and I encourage you to just watch, read, and listen, and think about this because I'm not yelling insults. Mm -hmm. I mean, as harsh as I get was to say that Macron doesn't know what he's doing. And if you want to call that an insult, then it's an insult. It's not. But I don't, I mean, I don't doubt fact. Macron. He wants the best. I believe that in him. I just don't think he's clear thinking. No. So politicalislam.com. My poor neighbors in France are in trouble. But uh, so are we in Switzerland <laughs> in different ways. But yeah. I thank you very much for your time, and uh, once well, again, I'll put the interest. links. I'll put the links for to 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 your to your to your books and to your website uh, down below. Thank you very much. Thank you.